To paraphrase Hunter S. Thompson, when you get locked into a serious beer collection, the tendency is to push it as far as you can. Cheers. Son of a bitch! Give me a drink! Takeover Podcast exclusively uses the Physics Draft Beer System to dispense all of the beers we review. Physics utilizes sonic wave technology to create the ideal density microphone head on your beer. It delivers a fresh from the tap draft beer experience that you can enjoy at home or on the go with no need for any external gas or additives. Just four AA batteries. Physics tasting is believing. Welcome to the Tap Takeover Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and I'm here with three of my best drinking buddies to talk about all things craft beer. What does that mean? It means we're talking to brewers, bartenders, beer distributors, beer traders, and people with amazing beer collections. And first up, we've got an interview with president of Lakefront Brewing, Russ Klish. We hope you're ready to take a wild ride with us to the craft brewing industry. Let's go around the table and give our names and our favorite style of beer. Hey, Jim Anderson, and it is IPAs and big stouts and a nice German dark lager. My name's Andy. My favorite styles, I would say, are the Russian Imperial stouts. Uh, in the wintertime, then I tend to lean towards more IPAs in the summer. Uh, my name is Jesus, and I love IPAs, and I'm actually into pumpkin beers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's okay to get kinky. That's a bit of an intervention for Jesus. <laughs> uh, and I'm Alex, and I'm a huge hophead, but I also love the barrel-aged stouts. So let's get into some of those. Let's talk about what we have on the tapper today for our first episode for our first episode we we got a little treat we're gonna do a uh, kind of a vertical tasting but not really because we're doing uh, 2013 2014 2015 2016 of black friday the lakefront black friday in honor of our first interview uh, in honor of our first interview with russ klish we're gonna do that uh that four beer tap takeover and uh what's interesting about that is that the the 2013 is a little bit different from the other three and that's why i said it's not a uh, true vertical andy do you want to tell us about the four beers we're tasting sure the first is the 2013 which was a black ipa from lakefront under the same name black friday so the true vertical would come in when we're starting to start off at the 2016 the 2015 and 2014 because the 2014 is when they started their russian imperial barrel aged stouts awesome well i can't wait to get into these and i hope you guys can't wait to hear us drink these and (laughs) hear us get excited about them as we are because lakefront is a fantastic beer you have thousands of people that stand in line on a very chilly friday morning to get one of these so we're very lucky and if you're listening and you like what you're hearing we would love to hear from you so please contact us uh we're on instagram at tap underscore takeover underscore podcast we're on twitter at tap takeover pod all one word gmail at tap takeover podcast all one word at gmail.com and on facebook at tap takeover podcast so let's get into it, boys. What are we thinking about this 2013? So it's a 2013 India Black Ale. So it's been aged at a perfect 38 degrees. <laughs> totally cellared. So normally you would not age uh, any IPA for this long of time. Um, as we'll find out, IPAs are not really designed 
by their nature to be cellared. The yeah. hop flavor loses quite quickly. Which, it, indeed, it, it really has. But there are so many other notes. Uh, it, the bouquet on this is, is fantastic. You can taste, well, smell the sweetness on the nose. Yes, in, the, in our interview with uh, Russ Klisch, uh, he said that this actually wasn't uh, meant to be aged, but uh, I tend to disagree a little bit because it actually does taste quite good. And it is up near 10%. We also talked about that with Rush, what sort of uh, percentage that you would consider aging something. And I, I think it's it's really interesting that we got this one. And I'm really happy that we did. Because we wanted to do the three barrel-aged beers, uh, the 2014, 2015, and 2016. They're three most recent years. But uh, th this whole process started with the Imperial Black I IPA. So that was the first two years. We, have, we did not get a 2012, but we did get a 2013. Very luckily, and I have to give a shout out to uh, a new friend of ours, a new friend of the podcast, uh, Jeffrey Enslin from Milwaukee, who just happened to have one of these in his cellar and was willing to give it up to us for the podcast. So, wow. you know, he, hey, huge. Thank you. Cheers, Jeff. Cheers, Jeff. And I think it was really interesting to get this one because it's a little bit different and because it wasn't supposed to be aged. Uh, it's it's very different than the way that it was intended, you know, and that that can happen with the barrel aging process. That can happen with any you know cellar aging beer. It any way you age it, it's gonna be a little bit different than the way the brewer originally intended it. I think that's really cool. So what do you think about it? I mean, a lot of the reviews I read on it before I even tried it said it turned into a sweet barley wine. Uh, well, I would agree with the barley wine statement. I mean, I don't think it's super sweet. That's that's actually the first thing I, th I thought of because uh, last year during Black Friday, I tried a, uh, so that was 2015. Uh, we went back to Buddy's house, had a 14 afterwards. Man, that sweetness was intense. I mean, that really, I mean, it just, we all kind of took that sip and looked at each other like, whoa, you know, I just don't get that sweetness in this. Um, and it's probably because of the different style of beer it is, but it's not bad, but it's, I, I'm curious now how that 14 is, you yeah. know, because it's... I, I just, I mean, this there. is definitely different than I remember it. I mean, I had one of these when fresh, and it's definitely definitely changed. Uh, all the hop flavor and, and sense is nearly gone. I mean, it's still there, it, you know, but it, it was, is much very light. It, it was there a little heavier when we first opened the bottle. You could get just like this whiff of hop, you know, just at the very, you know, the very tip of it. But underneath, it's, you know, it's... It is sweet. Yeah, the, all the it's malt flavors sweet. are now much more forward than they used you, to be. You think it is sweet, right? I, I do. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I get I don't a ton think of malt. It's, I don't think it's as sweet as a barley wine, but no. yeah, it's definitely a sweeter beer. Sweeter than it, it was originally. I'm curious when we get to the other ones because that's what I picked up before, the sweetness. But I didn't. I don't think it's it's as sweet as I remember. I remember it's it being a little more... maple notes on the nose. Maple. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. That's a good call. Yeah, I, I I remember it being a little more roasty, the the black IPA, especially the imperial style. They they do a regular black IPA, um, that's not nearly as heavy as this, you know, to begin with. I'm I'm pretty impressed, you know. It, it was definitely kept at the right temperature. You know, this this one didn't turn. Yeah. Oddly enough, the person who kind of got me thinking that it maybe wasn't going to be good was Russ himself, <laughs> because he's the one that said, you know, I wouldn't have aged it. You know, you're supposed to drink that. And I, when you told us you had it, I wasn't I wasn't that excited, but it's it's good. It's good. It, you know, that's one of the interesting things about IPAs. There, there's two schools of thought on that. Uh, one says that you have to get them straight from the brewery 
as fresh as possible so you get the full flavor of the hops. I only drink my IPAs directly from the brightening tank. <laughs> <laughs> just put your head under there and just go. Anyone else there. is just a peasant. <laughs> and there's the other school of thought that says IPAs are meant to be drunk after they've been aged. There's a school of thought that says that, you know, IPAs were meant to last the entire voyage from England to, to India and that the hops were used as a preservative. And so the original intention of an IPA is actually the, the aged beer. So mm-hmm. I know I know some people who will age IPAs, you know, a 90-minute dogfish head, you know, 120-minute dogfish head, some really big boys uh, where they have that sort of alcohol content that can stand the aging process. And then, you know, they'll wait. They'll wait a year or so, maybe not three years like this one was. Right. But they'll they'll wait a while and, and see what that, see what that aging does to it. It's pretty interesting. Have you guys read anything of, like, what it does to those beers? I mean, I, I guess I... Well, I yeah, so no of... one really knows what the original IPAs uh, taste like because there's very few yeah. records uh, and even less recipes from that time. So all we have is really conjecture of we know it was very hoppy, we knew it was aged in wood barrels, and then obviously sent on ships to oh. India that took it's six, eight months. It could be on a ship that long. And, you know, well, it had to be. I mean, it took six, eight, and... It's a completely different beer by the time it gets there. Yes. Another thing I'm interested in is, like, I, I still can't believe being that aged of a beer that the that physics machine still put a head on it. It's incredible. Um, you, you're the brand ambassador in the Midwest for, for physics. Do you want to talk a little bit about what specifically the, the physics machine is doing to the head on that? So the physics is going to take the existing, or in this case remaining, CO2 that's that's in the beer contained in the in the bottle, uh, and it's going to put it through a tapping system that taps it like it just would out of a tapper, um, but then there's a separate function where you tilt the tap handle back and it gives you a rich, creamy, microfoam head on type of your beer. So it's almost like a nitro pour, but you're not getting any nitro flavor because there's no CO2 or nitrogen involved in the process. It's uh, actually a sound wave technology that's pretty neat. All right, well, I think at this point we should just get right into the interview. I think that's what our audience is waiting for, waiting to hear from the head head brewer and president of Lakefront Brewery himself, Russ Klish. And uh, this first section, uh, we're going to break it up a little bit. We're going to do a little bit of interview, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to do a couple more of the... We're going to start the vertical. Yeah, that's when we're going to start the vertical. We're going to get right into the Black Fridays. But uh, first up, we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, the My Turn series, the one-off brewery employee-inspired series by Lakefront. Thanks for being here with us. Uh, sure. My name is Alex. This is Andy and Jesus, and we're here from the Tap Takeover podcast. And we're sitting down with uh, Russ Klish, uh, Lakefront Brewing owner and uh, head brewer. And we just wanted to talk to you about just kind of the state of brewing and, uh, and your sure. company. Uh-huh. So thanks so much for being here. Guys. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for coming in. Uh, so. Our first question, we wanted to know, was there a moment where the switch kind of flipped in your head from somebody who enjoyed beer to someone who became inspired to produce beer? Uh, was there a particular beer or a style involved with that? I, I guess the, the switch flipped when I started homebrewing and, and started tasting the homebrew and realized that you could actually make good beer. I you know, you always heard these stories about people Prohibition or way back when making beer and um, and telling about how t- terrible it is and this and that but you know you so you make it and it was you know actually very very drinkable and so once that that happened it was and it was also a point when you know my, my I have a degree in chemistry and I gave this book to my brother on how to make beer and I started reading it and there was a lot of chemistry involved 
and I kind of sat there and I thought, well, how many people are out there are really going to understand what they're trying to say? And so the combination of both of them, that there really was a lot of chemistry involved with the beer. And, and so I was able to understand what they were talking about and making it and how it responded to it. Yeah, because you were an engineer before you gave that up to the yeah, I was. I was. I am a degree chemist, and uh, I was hired at Johns Controls as an engineer, as a mechanical engineer. By the time I was done there, and, and so I ended up giving that up to, to run the brewery. But I was running the brewery when I was working at Johns Controls. I think we're all pretty happy. Yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm happier now too. <laughs> all right. So we really wanted to know about the the My Turn series. Uh, uh-huh. It seems like a lot of a lot of breweries are allowing their employees to use the brewery equipment to kind of do their own thing. But you've actually gone a step further with the one-off My Turn series, uh, where you actually allow your employees' recipes to put into to be put into a larger distribution. Yeah. What a cool program, and what was your inspiration for doing that? Well, in the marketplace, I was seeing a lot of brewers doing their one-off series. Uh, several breweries, you know, had them, and they uh, you could tell that there was one person designing all the beers. I always thought the same personality came through, and so when you had the beer. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't bad beer, but it was limited personality behind it. And, and then, you know, I thought, well, how do you prevent that from occurring? And I'm thinking, well, if had everybody have their choice to brew their own style of beer, you'd have a, a great diversions of styles. And I thought, well, if you let your employees do it, you figure anybody who works in a brewery should at least at one time in their career there have a chance to brew their own beer and you put everything together and it's been a, not only you know a good hit from a sales and marketing standpoint but from a, a morale standpoint around here uh, it, it, it's fabulous when these people have their release parties it's like going to their wedding <laughs> you know everybody invites their brothers sisters cousins neighbors to this and everybody from the brewery comes on down and, and it's you know it's it's a nice it's a nice party it's still a sense of pride in your yeah, employees it's, yeah right? it's, that's a, a sense of pride and everybody waits for it and, and looks at it but it, no it's it's a fun time and and luther helps them out real well there's been a lot of great recipes with it and people around town love it you know it's just not like they made up some beer and and, and try to market it as somebody that you know there's a real live person behind everyone and this is this guy's beer what does that system actually look like so if I'm an employee at Lee Friends and you know I want to get a, a recipe produced, what does that look like from recipe to production? What are the steps involved? Well, normally we go and we ask them, like, pick out a style okay. that you want to brew. You know, there must be some style you like your, that you brew or, or, or you think is very popular. Or, and once you find a style, then we uh, go to Luther and we say, could you create a, a recipe with it? And there's certain things that we do. I know we have like tier one and tier two or tier three pricing with it. Uh, and, and so usually if it's a tier two, you, tier two is typically are over 8%. Uh, we don't want to have like 8.5. We say, well, it's bringing up to nine or 10 or something like that to make it worth everybody's money. Or if it's a you know, tier three, it must be barrel aged or something on that sort. It's kind of interesting because we've got all my turns right yeah. up over here. I'm just sitting right by them. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was actually interesting because, so that's the cutoff of Four pack, six pack. Yeah, we have. We, we at first we were doing um, bombers, bombers with it, and we we well, we got such a great demand. Our distributor saying, "Why don't you put it in four packs or six packs?" And we started doing the the four pack, or, or we started doing six packs uh, with a tier one, and we went to tier two. There we went to a four pack. There was this not too long ago. It was like three, four years ago. Feeling that anything over ten dollars just didn't sell. And so that's why brewers came out with a four-pack. You can price it like at 
and uh, people still buy it. And then Ballast Point came along and blew that out of the water. And so now it wasn't that big of a deal to um, uh, to have a you know eleven ninety nine or thirteen ninety nine fourteen ninety nine six pack. So was that tough going? I know the distributors wanted it, but for like I just think it's neat to have the bombers. Yeah. Is there ever a thought of maybe having both, having the six packs and bombers? It does seem like you guys have kind of gone away from the bombers. Yeah. Well, the bombers. There's certain issues with bombers. Uh, for us, it, it's um, changing over the machine. Especially like during the summertime, during wintertime, we can do it like a Black Friday. We do it. That's about once a year. We we do it really. Is we switch yeah. the machine over. You have time during that part of the year where you know it, it takes like you know four hours to switch it over, and then four hours to switch it back, and, and so get everything like a there. Break in production. For yeah, you. and so but in summertime it gets so busy. You're trying doing it, and you really couldn't do a compared to go to 12 ounce where everything is set up, all the tooling's right there, and and plus with you, you sell more liquid with the six pack. Somebody's buying a six-pack of the beer is almost like the same amount of people that would buy a 22-ounce. And so basically you're selling almost you know, double the beer, triple the beer that, that you'd buy. So you, know, you get more of a volume going through. Uh, there's also a fact that like Pick and Save would be a good example, or Roundies or, or Kroger's, what you want to call them now. They don't sell bombers. Most of them don't. So there's a lot of locations that don't sell the bomber. Uh, that's, that's a, what percentage of your sales would be from pickets? I mean, that's going to be a big chunk of it, right? Oh, yeah. So. They're, they're our number one uh, yeah, uh, account we have in the state of Wisconsin. So, yeah, you have to, you you can, have to accommodate the accounts. You're producing a product that they can't carry. That's yeah, and so yeah, they requested that we do it, you know, and it goes in their stores and does very well for them. So, so it's nice, you know, they, when they can get a package that um, they couldn't get before, and, you know, they always feel somebody who wants that package can come to their store and then buy their other groceries, too. So are there any of the uh, the My Turn series that are kind of your favorites? Anything that you're thinking about, maybe uh, a second? Well, second I, I always uh, say it's like picking your favorite kid. <laughs> it, it, you, you, it's, there's some p- political things in there. You probably yeah. could say one or two, but it's like, well, you're picking an employee over another one. Yeah, is there a teacher's pet in the group? That- yeah. <laughs> well, I have come up with a thought. We haven't gotten our act together with it yet, but trying to come up with a variety 12-pack of Like a seasonal? Yeah, or seasonal or something like that we could do, but um, we haven't figured it out because the problem is just trying to brew all the beers for it. You'd have to brew at least four of them and get them out within a short period of time, put them all in the 12-pack. I think it would be good to do around Christmas time. We might might try doing that next year, and we would do is we'd have online voting. And so then we would, so it would be kind of out of our hands. And, it's and a great idea. That, um, that, you know, the public can vote, and then they'd pick like maybe their four best or three best and uh, my turns, and then we could put a variety 12-pack out there. Yeah, because the bummer is kind of like that they're limited. I know. I've gone to discount a couple of times where I see the beer there, and I say, oh, well, you know what? I'm already, I got, I got a lot of beer already. I'll be back next week, and it's gone. Yeah. And sometimes it's, you know, it's hard to tell what's going to be there for a long time and what isn't. So it'd be good, yeah, definitely. It's a great idea. To, yeah. Maybe the people who haven't tried yeah. some of the wine turn series. Oh, sure. No, there's there's always someone coming to me and saying, oh, you know, I I love the Colin, or I loved, um, you know, the David. You know, you got to bring that one back. Yeah, the David, David was, was, so was that, yeah. that, that, that the, uh, the night or the Bach beer for Christmas. So I'd say, at what, what point in Lakefront's history did you realize it was going to become this big? It was probably... Uh, around 2008 2009 especially around 2008 when the recession hit and we just kept on growing yeah that was a, a big thing to me but that was back when we had uh, the gluten-free beer when we started 
doing the, the new grist because uh, we were the first brewery in the country to get a federal okay to do um, a gluten-free. Uh, and there was like unlimited demand for it at that time. We were like one of the first ones and that just kept on growing. And, and a lot of these tanks were all paid with, paid for by that, that beer that we have right now. It's probably gone down in volume. A lot of other people have come out with beers since then. But it's still, it's still about 20% of our production, yeah, it's, so it's not a small thing that we do. So it's still, it's still big. Well, especially being the first one, the first yeah. gluten-free option at a time when that was becoming an enormous issue. Yeah. Awesome insights from Russ on that. My turn. Man, I was uh, pretty cool. I just love that whole setup. It seems something so easy, but nobody really does it, and I just thought, thought it was great. And it's you're awesome. a huge, huge fan. Oh, yeah. Going way back of the My Turn yeah, series. You turned me on to it. I didn't want to mark out in front of him because I have all, I showed you all the bottles. I, I collect them all because I just think it's neat how all, every employee has their own label, their own colors. It's all unified under the lakefront, but they're all different. So Yeah, you've been really seller, cool. seller aging a number of those My Turn series, have you not? Uh, the, just a couple that are higher alcohol. They, they did come out with a lot of happy ones, so those are gone. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing that kind of blew my mind was that... Uh, they're gluten-free beer. Never would have thought it was such an important part of their lineup. But well, it makes it makes sense. The fact that it paid for a lot of their tanks that they have it is, now. It is amazing because it's like one of those things, because I guess it's maybe our mentality of just, you know, hoppy beers, dark beers, heavy beers, and this lighter, almost like when you think of gluten-free, healthy, kind of like this. It just blew my mind that it was so important to them. And that he was one of the first to do it, too. I mean, you really don't think of Milwaukee breweries as really cutting-edge, uh, experimental breweries. And yet, here you got someone who was very much in front, in the forefront of a new movement. That really comes out in the interview, because he's extremely proud of, of being the first to do it. That's incredible. So, let's get back to the Tappers, boys. <laughs> right. uh, I, we've got two in this, this turnaround, uh, before the next series of the interview. Uh, we're going to do... Actually, so we started with the 2013, which was the a different style. You know, let's just say that. Uh, now we're going to get into the bourbon barrel-aged imperial stouts. This is... This is the meat of it, boys. <laughs> if we're going to start, we're actually going to go backwards now. So we started way back in 2013. We're going to jump in our DeLorean and jump up to 2016, this year's. This was actually my first year in line for the Black Friday. I know that you guys are kind of, uh, you know, industry veterans. You guys have done this a, a few a few years in a row. But this was my first year, and I had such a fun time. So, I, this is my second year, and I, me and you went together. And I feel we all pretty much timed the line perfectly. Jesus a little bit better. He was way up front. But we got there, what, about 4.30 in the morning? 4.30 in the morning. And that was the incredible part is mm. I didn't know that either of you guys were going to be there. Yeah, I didn't I know no Jim idea. or Jesus were going to no, be there. Literally, you you guys were, what, six yeah, spots? Yeah, we're right, right, around, yeah. right next to each other. Yeah. <laughs> we and just Jim was like six spots behind us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm standing there drinking, I believe it was the Abraxas. We did a little tasting in line, obviously. <laughs> Good old perennial. I believe we were drinking the Abraxas, and I hear, uh, I hear a voice behind me yell my name, and I'm like... <laughs> Who would I know? Oh, there's Jim Anderson, of course. <laughs> yeah, no, it was pretty crazy. And I didn't know that was your very first one. That's weird. Maybe because I I guess I've gone the most then because I went in 2012. Oh, so you were there for the very first oh, one. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. When I heard about this thing, I was... Uh, but what, there wasn't a line, though, right? Oh, there was still a line, yeah. But, not... but I showed up at, like, uh, much later. It was, like, 7, thinking... Pfft, 
who else would be, you know, getting up on Black Friday morning, uh, getting beer at Lakefront, you know, mm-hmm. like a couple handful of people. And yet there was a substantial line of, I don't know, 150, 200 folks uh, yeah. by that time. It so. says a lot for the city of Milwaukee that, that everybody gets up and does this and goes to Lakefront, especially when, uh, you know, 90 miles south, you got Goose Island and they're doing their release on the same exact day. And liquor mm-hmm. stores in our area have it, but still you have 1,500 people show up to Lakefront Brewery that yeah. early in the morning. This is this was my third year, and this was the first time where I, it was a party because the other yeah. two years I was there, I want to say almost like I'm, I'm here for business only, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was very, I was, I was it was there. vastly different. Not only were far more people showing up, I mean, everybody I talked to was like, can you believe you know, I showed up at the same time last year and I was almost at the front, and now there are hundreds more people in front of me this year. So have you have you seen the bottle sharing and that sort of stuff going on in Not as much years? as this year. Really? I mean, there was... I, I have not seen that before. This is like the first time where people were just... It was a party. It yeah, was like it, it happened a little house. bit, but nowhere near on the scale that it did this year. That's incredible. No, I, I'm looking forward to next year. <laughs> well, let, let's talk about the beer from this year. So 2016 uh, Black Friday Imperial IPA. We just tapped it. We put it through the physics system. Great head on that thing. It, amazing head yeah. retention through that system. Really dark. I mean, I love the color on this head. I mean, it, it does... Uh, it does great things for old beers, you know, where it kind of brings them back to life when they only have a little bit of carbonation left. But when you have a, a fairly new beer like this, was, this was just brewed, uh, well, it was just brewed back in February, aged in bourbon barrels, and then bottled maybe a couple months ago. Yeah. Uh, still very fresh and great head on that. What, what do you guys think about the flavor? It's extremely roasty. And I yep. think it's it's a little bit less boozy, fresh than the 2015 was when it was fresh. Yeah, the, the 2015 was extremely boozy. So we'll find out if that mellowed out next. But I, I mean, this I, this I is this is a lot smoother, and it's still. I believe right around the same alcohol content. I would say it's smoothed out just even since uh, the Black Friday. They had it on tap. A couple months ago. At the uh, giveaway. Not giveaway, but... Giveaway. wish. At the event, and it was it was bitey. It was bitey then, especially compared because they also had the 2015, and that was really tasty. No, Alex, when, you know, we'll tease our next episode a little bit. When we were in Michigan, we actually opened one of these, and that was literally two weeks after we got it that's right i would and, say this is even mellowed out from then yeah I, that was very very boozy you're right uh, jim when it was on tap it was extremely boozy two weeks later it was still very boozy it's starting to settle in two months later you can kind of taste that it's starting to settle in i think this one we'll see about how the 2015 aged after a year but i think this one specifically is going to be really good after at least a year so we're even going to compare this to the 13 i mean it's just different styles you can't, you can't, you can't. it's almost uncomparable yeah yeah. The first one you can compare it to is the 14, and that, that, yeah. that'd be about it. So we're, we're going to uh, we're gonna do the 2015 right after this one. We wanted to break it up that way because we wanted to do the 2016 straight into the 2015 just to see how the beer had changed after a year. And then after the next interview, we'll uh, we'll crack open that 2014. How's that sound, boys? Yeah, Save the good. best for last, right? Damn right. <laughs> Andy, let's grab that 2015 and put it on the tap. All right, get it done. Started. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, delicious. Right? Wow. That it's is big, a big black head. That is a big boy. 
Wow. It's amazing what a year it is, right? That alcohol has just it's it's seeped into the rest of the the rest of the beer in an incredible way. The the head was less tan, right? We can start there. So the head was a little a little bit paler. The the vanilla and the oak I think are coming through yeah, a lot beer. more than the first one because the first one you're just blasted out of the water with the alcohol. This one, all of those flavors are just are just melding together. Yeah, the barrel is really the shining star of this one. But from what I remember trying a uh, current year and a previous year was that the previous year so when I had 15 14 was so much sweeter I don't think this is a drastic enough change to that so I'm just now I'm curious what that next one tastes like <laughs> what 2014 is going to be but yeah. this is still yeah I really agree with Andy the barrel is really starting to shine here now after a year so the 14 is going to be I would yeah. I would assume even more barrel forward than yeah. than, than this one you gotta see if you get the uh, the bourbon notes the vanilla notes that malty sweetness it is. And this that, one's a little bit sweeter. Yeah. I, I, I kind it's of agree just a with little you. Bit. I mean, the, the booziness is pretty much gone. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty much gone after a little over a year, and it's just the barrel just, no, it's just smooth, shines yeah. bright. It's super smooth. It's incredibly smooth. But it's yet yeah, it's still a big, bold beer. The microfoam head on top of it, too, kind of locks in flavors. Yeah, that, that first one, the uh, the 2016, you almost got to kind of chew that one as it goes down. It's That's a very big boy as far as the alcohol content is concerned. This one is is, you know, it's just smoother. I think that's the right word for it. It's just much smoother. It's smoother, but it still has the proper viscosity, which barrel-aged stout should really have. Yeah, it's got some serious legs on it. I mean, you watch it just just clinging to the glass as you, as you kind of swirl it. You know, for you know, let, let's give some visual cues for for our listeners here, and, and we're talking about just black black body just completely Absolutely. black i'm holding it up to the light nothing through i mean yeah. it is it's, dark it's black as night and i mean that's that's a sign of a, a, a epic big beer is, is when you take that that big sip and you still have the lacing clinging to the glass from where you break you drink the, the beer down from your sip it's at the top of your sip and after 10 months in a, in a barrel i mean it's it's just got this this beautiful dark tan head on it 10 I, months and a year and a couple in a basement i know? i said it was yeah so so we're talking what 12 uh, 22 months 22 months from pretty close from brewing to, two years. to yeah from brewing to to drinking and i said that the the head was a little tanner but i mean it's still it's still a very dark very dark tan quite delicious kudos the lakefront for that uh, do, do you guys have a preference uh the 2015 or the 2016 I would say 2015 i, I think the aging really helps this beer this beer you know hear from Ross that when you gotta age some beers and this is cellaring well. I mean this is designed to cellar and you can taste it. One one thing I would say though, from we can get in the time machine from when twenty sixteen was released this year and <laughs> you know, spend, you know, thirty seconds going back a year to when twenty fifteen was released. I think the twenty sixteen release when tasted better immediately upon release. I think I, I think that's actually true. That's interesting. I think that's true. That's See, I wasn't there for the event. Uh you know I had some twenty fifteens but it was it was a few months after the event, uh, so that's that's a really interesting so take. You were there for fifteen, right? Yes, I was so there for fifteen. When that was on tap, man, that was heavy. It was that super was like, boozy. That was boozy. Super really? boozy. I just and and that's maybe my frame of reference because man, when I had it on tap, holy cow! The the difference between that and the previous year was just intense. It was boozy. It was really boozy. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's let's jump in that same time machine yeah, right I, now. I don't know how big <laughs> big a lakefront's barrel housing facility is, but maybe. 
maybe that's an idea for them. Take a beer like this and let it sit in the barrel. Instead of eight months, let it sit in there for 18. Let it sit in there for 24. Oh, now you're talking like some Central Waters kind of stuff. Like a like a black gold where they age it in a, a whiskey barrel for uh, three years hey, kind of stuff. See what happens. If you're testing your barrels, you shouldn't have a problem doing it, right? Well, I'll tell you what. Let, let's jump in that same DeLorean. Let's jump in that same time machine. And what if we were to go forwards in time? Let's take this 2015 with us forwards in time to uh, 2016, a year a year uh, past. Is a 2016 going to stand up the same way as this 2015, would you say? Or is it going to even be better? Uh, that, that's something only time will tell. Yeah, I mean, it could, but that 16 was more, I think it's more mellow than I remember this being last year. Okay. Put it that way. I, so, yeah, this question, is it going to age quicker then? So perhaps it won't sell her as well as something I, as big and boozy as 2015. quicker, but the fact that it was more mellow on the boozy taste, even though it was quite boozy. It was very boozy. But it was more mellow on that boozy taste. I think it'll actually age better, and you're going to get even more of the barrel. But it's like a, I, I have no idea how this works, the science behind it. It's the exact same recipe, I would think, same exact beer. Well, that, that would have been, just something... I guess, a great question question did they do any changes to the recipe no, well they haven't they okay. said that, that from the first two years it was uh, the uh, black or the we, imperial yeah and since 14 15 16 it's no. been the same but they do they haven't changed yeah. the amount of the recipe changed, at all they haven't changed it at all but maybe, what's to say a, a different barrel or different sure. something something about the air being different I have no idea what uh, makes it could be all that there's yeah. a lot of different factors that factor yeah. into it I mean it's first of all it's different barrel you know even if they're from the same distributor it's still different barrels in a different batch you, you, you never know what you're gonna get I mean it, it's all it's all a game right and that's one of the fun parts about this interview is talking to the man himself right Russ Klish. Uh, he kind of teases a little bit at the end. I'm going to tease a little bit here. He kind of teases about some different uh, sort of ideas that he has for the Black Friday event going forward. So let's let's jump back into the interview here. We, we started with a beer that was hoppy to begin with and then went to a more barley wine kind of flavor. Now we've gotten into the bourbon barrel aging. Uh, let's jump back into this interview and let's talk about some hoppy beers with Russ. Uh, as a resident Hophead. I can't wait to hear Russ's thoughts on, you know, just hoppy beers and the way the industry is going. This is uh, super interesting how Russ gets into it here, too, about actually his timing and Lakefront's timing and then introducing uh, Lakefront's IPA, which is one of the best selling IPAs in the state of Wisconsin. The industry, the beer industry, seems to be riding a kind of a wave of hot forward beers. And that seems to also be around the time that you introduced the Lakefront IPA, the Fixed Gear, and the uh, Imperial Black. The, or no, the IBA. IBA. Was that a, is that a case of you guys just kind of riding that wave that the industry was riding, or were you guys trying to really put your spin on it? Really kind of. I thought, you know, we're trying to put our spin on it. You know, it was a popular wave. You could kind of see what was humming. It was, you know, I felt like it actually came out very late with the IPA. I should have done it earlier. Uh, but, no, it's been very successful. Our IPA is the largest selling IPA in the state of Wisconsin. And so we have that designation for our beer. So I obviously must have done something right. But, but no, we, you know, what I think what we did, which is a little bit different, I think Lagunitas maybe was part of this or doing the same thing. But we were one of the first breweries to use hop flavor instead of hop bitterness. If you look back around 2000, 
four or five, six or something like that, there was this IBU thing going on yeah. where everybody like ranked their beer, how many IBUs you yeah. could put into it. You they don't see that to, that much anymore. Your mouth. Yeah, they, you know, people were just sitting there saying, oh, they got 90 IBUs in this thing, you know, it's got to be great. <laughs> you know, it's like putting chili peppers in chili, there's a certain point to it where it becomes silly. You know, you like it, you know, obviously you must balance the malt and like, you know, now and then people out there like a little bitterness with it. Obviously you want to have that in IPA. You don't want to have it malty, but um, but it must, you know, but if you know how to use the hop flavor, you know, when, when you're dry hopping, first kettle hopping, you know, whirlpool hopping, uh, if you do those different things correctly, you get that great hop flavor that comes on through. And, and um, uh, you know, that that's what we did with our beers, and I think all of our beers have that characteristic to it, but with all the hops. And, and that's one of the reasons why we became, we became, I think, so successful with the IPA. Now, you said you wanted to come out with it. Ninth or tenth with this? Yeah. And uh, and so uh, eventually, you just kept on growing. And I said, "Well, we best have this because it's going to be a huge part." And it still has it's still growing today. IPAs are still growing today. Yeah, it seems like you guys are keeping up. Yeah. You just did the Hop Jockey series last. Yeah, I did Hop Jockey, and we got a couple other forward hop beers or hop flavorful beers that are like the Warm Front we just came out with. Uh, but that I'm, it's not when my heart considered a true IPA, but it's like a pale ale. Extra pale ale, so it has good flavor, but it's not really that big. But that's any, any plans to go even happier in the future? Or are you kind of pretty happy with where you're at? No, I think we're pretty happy right now. I mean, the hop jockeys, you know, that was a that's a big beer. It's I'm not big, sure. Yeah, it's, it's delicious I'm too. Right now. Yeah. It's delicious. <laughs> yeah, and so you know, we I'm not saying we we don't. Um, the one of the trends I've seen in beer happening right now is that. There's a lot of brewers that are going to uh, retire their brands and come out with all new style, or the, the next generation they're calling it. I, I don't know if, if you heard, but like Firestone Walker is a good example. They just, I just was out in Los Angeles last week and picked up the local beer magazine and they're talking about retiring like Wookie Jack, which really? is like one of their main yeah. beers. Yeah. And they say, well, we're gonna, people aren't going to like it, but we've got to come out with the next generation. That's, that's the way it is in the beer industry. Right? Where they got, I'm not sure I always thought that's still way up there, like in the uh, very style, or you know, that, that's what the trend is right now, so I'm not sure what else they would be coming up with. But, but that's what they're saying they're doing. There's like three uh, the Wookiee beers there. They, aren't, they won't be coming out. They're going to change. They're going to retire. Yeah. And so I think you're going to be seeing a lot of that happening. And, and, so, and so there might be a different IPA. I, I would think that's what they're going to be. They're going to replace it with another one. Did you ever see yourself in Lakefront ever do retiring a well? We've Well, I don't think I could ever do Riverwood Stein, Stein or IPA or Eastside Dark. You know, those are three of our you know, staples. staples that we have. But I think there's some other ones, you know, especially seasonals like New Belgium right now. I, I heard that they don't they either retire if it's successful, they'll go two years. If it's not, they'll go one year with. That's a return. Yeah, it is. I mean, I used to have seasonals like for four or five years. I mean, there's still some I've had for like like the pumpkin, same beer we made since 1990, you know, and cherries. You guys were one of the first to do that. We were the second beer in the country, second brewery in the country to do a pumpkin. Because we had Buffalo Bill had it, and, and the fellow who owns the, the Tracks Tavern, or back then uh, Pete, Pete Wolverson, called us up and said, you oh, I want a pumpkin beer. So we made one for him. <laughs> and it's, that's been very successful throughout the years. And helped Great Lakes make a pumpkin vodka with that. Yeah, it went off ours. I, I like what you guys did this year with it too, the, the Randy Aging. Yeah. It was a different little spit. Yeah. Like you were saying, always kind of reinventing. I have to reinvent, take it, you know, turn up or, or twist it just so it, it's good. But the brandy, I mean, if you think of like drinks with brandy, a lot of them are with spices. And 
I think it fits just well. I mean, I love beers that are you know aged in bourbon or whiskey, but I think the brandies when you when you have a fruit beer or if you have a um, spice beer that goes a lot better. I want to follow up with the whole retiring of beer because what you know when I get friends that come out of town, they say where should I go? I mean, I'm a big fan of Lakefront. You say, go to Lakefront, you'll find something you like. Because uh-huh. your line is just so from top to bottom. You just got a bunch of stuff for everybody. And the tour is fantastic. The tour is fantastic, <laughs> but specifically the beer. And we're talking about not necessarily retiring stuff, but how big do you think this line is going to get before you're like, man, we should take a step back or maybe not. I mean, Well, we're about as many as you can have. I mean, you the- got a lot. How many, how many do you I counted the other day, we have like 30 beers we do throughout the year. And like 28 basically with labels on it. Because a couple just draft ones. But uh, the main problem with us is is tankage and keeping things fresh. Okay. And, and so you, you don't want to, um, you got to be able to turn the beer and you have to have a certain amount of volume to go and, and to turn it. And so that kind of limits how many beers and styles you can make. Because if you have more styles you make, the, the more time in between brews and the tanks. And if you're not having a popular one, it gets tougher and tougher to fit it in. So what, uh, what do you say is your challenges for 2017? Um, well, the challenge you always have, or I think all brewers are having right now, is just what's the hottest style, what's the newest thing coming out. And uh, you always have to be on top of it. You always have to watch. You know, I, When you go to festivals, I always see what everybody else is pouring. You know, the, I guess uh, a challenge and a blessing at the, at the same time is the amount of breweries opening up in town. Uh, I don't... You know, if you look at any successful beer town, they all have like 50 breweries. So if you want to be a successful beer town, that's what you got to have. So that's kind of like the, the blessing part of it. And I think you, there's, there's more disciples out there at more breweries to convincing people to drink specialty beer. Like Portland's a good example. Like 50% of the beer drank in that town is craft. And it's like 20% or somewhere around there in Milwaukee. But um, It's been a pretty good explosion the last couple of years, though. Right? Yeah. No, it's, it's definitely grown. There's no question about that. And, and so... You know, when you have more people drinking, obviously you have more chance of, of coming by or more people visiting your town to look at the breweries when you have more breweries here. So those are, oh, those are positive things, but then you have more competition too. And so you just have to be kind of on top of your game and, and what you can do and what you can't do, where you think you want to specialize in. You can't do everything. Like Sours right now is a good example where there's some pretty good sour breweries. You know, I went to Mobcraft and went there, like Mines. They got some, you know, decent stuff and, and uh, enjoy their beers. But, you know, I don't think that's, that's for us right now. You know, we kind of, there's only so many times you want to try to get the, you know, the bugs in your place if you don't watching it closely. And, I, you know, and, and for us, we're still heavy on production on a lot of ways. And I, it, when you're like more hands-on or you have one guy that's watching the whole thing, production isn't, uh, you know, our size, it's easier to do. But for right now, so I'm going to probably stay away from that, even though I don't think, I think it's still a good hot trend right now. But I, I think it's just best for our brewery as we, we try to concentrate on some other styles. So you said you trying to stay with the trends kind of going to like different fasts and you know, different beer tastings, but do you try to go like to the Northeast, go to California, go to, I mean, how, how much of an effort is that? Do you, do you just go all over the country and you have people that, hey, you got to come out to California and try this? I, I've never really traveled around the country too much to just to look at styles, but I've done is, you know, anytime you travel, you, you try to look at the uh, the industry and seeing what's, um, uh, you know, what's, what's going on there, where they're going, you try stopping in a brew pub or two and seeing what, what they're doing. Yeah, you know, what they're doing. Have there been any of those trips that have impacted, like, a, a current beer that you have now? 
I'm not really thinking of one. But, I mean, there's certain things that you look at more than just styles. And one interesting thing I saw, I was in Los Angeles last week, got that newspaper. But um, I remember going to, like, the major grocery chain, or a big one, I forgot what the, the, the name of it was. But I started, you know, look at, like, what beers they all have in six-packs in there. And, and, like, you know, you, you, and so this is, you know, your, your mainstream, um, I think it was in Beverly Hills, housewife would go and shop at. And um, the one thing that kind of surprised me was how many six-packs were there from breweries that were just purchased by the big guys. Yeah. Like the St. Archer, um, Breckenridge. It's a, it's a big one. A gold purchased in L.A. by, by Anheuser-Busch. Seems like Anheuser-Busch has been buying up a lot of yeah. So you saw a little breweries. You saw them. You saw the ones from Miller. Uh, of course, they had the Shock Top and Blue Moon. And but I guess that kind of surprised me in that you know thinking about it. Obviously, there was some big beer buyer somewhere that just dealt with a couple people, and they had a couple other local ones there. Golden Road. That was the one I was thinking of. But. Um, but so you saw all these beers on, on the shelf, and so you, you saw a big influence all of a sudden from uh, the big guys buying up the crafts and then making sure that they're in the supermarket. I mean, the supermarket didn't have that great of a selection. It was probably from that wall to this wall. Or not even, probably, no, probably from, uh, from these two, uh, uh, maybe about 20 feet long for the people who's, not, who's listening to me and yeah. not, not seeing my hand from go. Here, here, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not seeing that there, but about 20 foot worth, you know. So that's, that wasn't a bad selection, but it wasn't, it wasn't huge. So what do you think of the new uh, technology coming out for beer nowadays? Like that was nice, physics yeah. Physics technology. Yeah, that was, uh, I definitely had great aroma that came off that beer with that micro bubbles that was on there it was uh it was very interesting on how to try that and, and do it and you can still see uh you can't see it if you're listening to us but the belgian lace on the glass you can you can uh, have that and the one that you poured for me you can tell that that's there so that that's a good indication a good foam good beer and obviously i think the uh, the physics must have uh, helped with that well, thank you very much, Russ. I mean, your, your insight has just been phenomenal. Uh, we really appreciate the opportunity to getting to interview you. Uh, thank you very much for testing out the, the physics and being open to new technology. Uh, we know we've heard a lot about you being an innovator and uh, Lakefront being an innovation-styled um, brewery that is open to constant change. I've known just from working with physics um, that I've done brewery. Uh, I've done tastings at your brewery through the physics unit of your beer. You've been completely open to that um, as well as you've been in commercials for physics as well with the new WayTab system and thank you very much for your insight into the brewing industry as a whole and speaking of physics how about this 2014 boys oh yeah oh man we're only about a quarter way into all four of our pores and I mean it is just phenomenal coming out of that physics system especially I mean the head on that thing is just incredible it looked like milk chocolate so as as (laughs) Russ referred to it this is belgian lace and really i mean it's delicate it's light and, and it's, it really clings to the side of the glass it's sticking to the glass and lacing better than the 16 and the 15 if we're talking wine i mean we would say that this beer has legs right mm-hmm. like it's just oh it's just all over the glass let's let's describe it you know for our for our audience here we're talking even blacker than the first two if that was possible you know like it's, once you've turned out the lights it feels dark this is like turning out the sun there's absolutely no sign. You could put a spotlight on this thing and you couldn't see your fingers on the other side of the glass. And yeah. it poured out one of the darkest brown heads that you know yep. that these eyes have ever seen. 
after three years of aging. Just what an incredible beer. Yeah, a lot of the barrel is now starting to fade a touch. So you're getting some more chalkiness, but you still get a ton of vanilla, a ton of the oak. And there's, there's almost like a caramel-like toffee undertone yes. to it. So it's almost like, uh, so we said that the first the first one, the 2016, if we're reviewing here, the 2016 was very booze-forward. Yeah. Right, so it was very uh, alcohol forward. The second version was very barrel forward. Right, so you're getting that nice like oaky flavor along with the the darkness and the vanilla, and this third very you know this third time around three years in, we're just getting all of the 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 subtleties of the barrel. Mm-hmm. So the barrel itself has kind of fallen away in the last year, and now we're just getting all those subtleties. The the the, the the smooth vanilla, the uh, the the smoother oak. It's, it's if if the beer had any edge to it, you know. I guess the sixteen is you know boozy a little bit, but it's hot. I mean, but as the years go by, the edges. I mean, the best way to describe it, the edges start coming. You know. Oh yeah. It just smoother and smoother. So I'd and smoother. be interested in finding you know a fourteen a year from now. Because I really think those, you know, those minimal amounts of caramel and toffee, the undertones that I brought up before, will come out even more. They're just going to expand throughout the beer as it ages even further. I think we have to invest in a DeLorean. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I know I'm looking forward to taking up on Russ's offer to explore <laughs> his cellar and uh, what he might be able to uh, offer. Because I'm sure he has some gems stored away right i mean for me it's always interesting that you know you get a realization of things after uh but when you have someone who's storing away their gems early on you get to participate uh, that's gonna be fantastic we, we promise russ we'll, we'll bring the best of ours <laughs> <laughs> and and that's actually fantastic because in this next section we're going to talk to russ about his own beer collection we're going to talk about his cellaring process i i mean we're holding these beers for what two three four years mm-hmm. Let, let's see what a master brewer says about <laughs> about that, aging a beer. Honestly, I have, I have a pretty extensive collection, and I think really the oldest one I have is, is 2012. You have the the biggest collection of all of us, so yep. I, I'm going to say that's... I'm Not to one-up you, but I do have no. a 2009. No! Sounds like a challenge. If there's any opportunity to put myself over, I couldn't help myself. We may have to edit that out, honestly. Just leave it in. Just... Welcome to the Tap Takeover Podcast. Waiting for Jim to be a jerk. Oh, there it is. Jim's going to put himself over. Uh, Uh, Can't help himself. It's really a disease. Hashtag coming out swinging, right? The other fun part about this next part of the podcast is where we really we're gonna put the we're gonna put the screws to Russ here. We're we're really going to try and nail him down and get him with our classic gotcha journalism tactic. Uh, Jesus, how, how did that go? Well, I didn't get him. I, didn't get him. I tried to do some Spo- hard spoiler hit. alert. <laughs> I tried to do some hard-hitting analysis and some hard-hitting journalism, and he was unwavering, put it that way. And yet, at the same time, we did get some breaking news, which I think none of us were aware of, uh, but I hope that our our audience out there is going to be very happy about it. It entails the the seller aging process, it entails uh, marketing, it entails the distribution process. Yeah, this last part will be a treat. Takeover podcast, and so we'd like to ask you, what would be an ideal tap takeover to introduce folks to Lakefront Brewery? Uh, 
which beers would you use to tell your story? Well, beers I'd use to tell my story is we're innovative brewery. So I guess I'd, I'd want to have the beers that were we've done, which I consider being innovative. Uh, number one, we were first organic brewery. So I feel I'd have to have an organic beer there. We'd be a first um, gluten-free brewery. So we'd have the new grist. We talked earlier about my turn, about how you know, we do that with the employees. So I figured I'd have to have a my turn. And which one would you do? The one that's currently out. <laughs> the only one we can get. I won't be saving any. They all go. They all sell. Gacha journalism. So we'd have that. I probably would have, you know, our IPA and our Arbor West Stein. Those are two bigs. Eastside Dark. Eastside Dark is our most award-winning beer that we've done. We've won a major award in the last four years with Eastside Dark. So that, that's um, very important there. And probably have a seasonal too. I think we talked before about the pumpkin. I might have something on that sort since we're like the second, the cherry beer we've had. We would, I wouldn't mind having that out there because that would tell the story of um, Door County Cherries. I think we were one of the first breweries in the country to use fruit with our beer back around 1989. So that, was, that would be important to me to try to point out. And uh, we've done well barrel aging, so maybe a barrel aged beer also. So you guys have won a litany of awards. Which, which three would say are your top three awards that you've won? I, I guess if I, I mean, we won last year the best organic beer in the United States. So that one's always, I guess, since we're an organic brewery, that, that's near and dear to my heart, the fact that you can get the best, be awarded the best beer in the United States organically. Also, the Eastside Dark Awards that we've won from the European Beer Star, because that's um, a Schwartz beer, or, or, or no, Dunkel, so I think it was in the Munich Dunkel category. And so, I don't know if you're familiar with the European Beer Star, but it's kind of the Great American Beer Festival of Europe. Europe. But they do um, allow out of, so it's, or maybe it's called the World Beer Cup of Europe. And it's usually always on European styles. And so there's a lot of European breweries that enter, so you figure, huge for an American brewery. So, yeah, yeah well, Americans are very popular and win a lot of awards in the IPA categories or things like, you know, American type of craft beer styles. But when you go and you win in a, the, the Munich Dunkel category, you figure you're going against all the Munich Dunkels that really are there and judged by brewmasters from those breweries. And so when you send your beer like that out and get an award, you know, I feel very special about that. To do what they're doing so one focus of our podcast is the idea of beer collections and cellaring beers to see how they evolve. Have, you know, being the, the, the creative mind behind the Black Friday bourbon barrel aged you know, imperial stuff, what's a, what is your beer collection? Um, well, I do have a beer cellar. We have it. Uh, I, I don't know if, if, if you heard it. We probably haven't publicized as much. We're probably talking more about that. But we are right now on our aged beer. We weren't able to get it on the Black Friday. But if you have any of the current barrel aging beers that we have, like the Spice One or the, um, the Pumpkin, you'll see a little hourglass. I don't know if you heard about this or not. I have to go get one of these. But if you look on the label, you'll see an hourglass on there. And this designates the fact that it's cellar. Okay. Um, I, I, I came up with the idea, I pitched it to the uh, Wisconsin um, Brewers Guild, everybody loved it, 
And Henry from Mobcraft helped me along with this. He came up with the logo. He's also promoting it. But you should be seeing on his beers, you see on Oso's beers. And there's several beers out there right now that are being made with this Hourglass logo on it. And when you buy one of these beers, you know it's sellable. One problem I always, especially I know the first time you ever came out with the Black Friday, it was like a, a black IPA and Imperial Black IPA. And, and people kept on holding on to it. It's well, like, uh, it, well, you really shouldn't be holding on to an IPA. Even though, you know, because usually any sellable beer is over 8%, there's a lot of other categories you can look that would help improve it but when you have a hoppy one you don't want to sell it and so somewhere along the line we had to designate or come up with a designation so I came up with that I came up with the idea Henry helped me with it. so there's several breweries out there right now we're trying to get pushed and um, we got to get a press release out of even I, I wanted to get several beers out there looking like this right sure. now this might be breaking news. yeah so it's one thing you could be breaking news out I'll show you the, the logo when we go in the other room and we can have it, but it's uh, it's something I think the industry needs. It's not something that we are looking at that is, uh, you know, we want to keep for ourselves or trademark or anything sure. on that sort. We want to basically have this symbol as something we can go and uh, promote aging beers, and, and, you know, people can put it on there. I also want to try to have something in the, in the state here where I, I've seen that I felt that even though there's a lot of great brewers in Wisconsin, uh, I like to get us behind one movement where I think that we could try to excel. And this movement will take years and years, but it's something you got to start now. And aging is is, is, is something that's it's going to be a 20-year progression. And but I've had you know I have beers from 1992 that I've drank that are fabulous. You know, they just age. Sure, you can bring that out. All right. <laughs> we'll be doing a small vertical on right. Friday. So we do verticals. Yeah, well, I mean, our holiday spice is one that, you know, it can be aged. That's a good aging beer. And so we've had those verticals, and, and we, my brother did several of those this year, and how they age and how they go. And um, So when would you open that 92? When would I? Yeah, I mean... Is there any specific yeah. range that it should See, age for? Yeah. aging. Like, I usually do it maybe three years, four years, and I'm like, I just got to drink it now. I just, I just, yeah, you know, because, but you've amazing patience. <laughs> well, we had, we got I got numerous. Maybe it's not the '92. I got the '93, or you drink all those. I only got a couple of those left. But you know, sometimes you have your friends coming on over. Yeah. But Special if I would have known this, if you want to talk about, it, maybe next time I can I can come back and and uh, I can bring out. I'll get some more aged beers, and we can see how they hand up. And and not not all of them really turn. Are, are always good. Sometimes yeah. you get some bad ones out there. You can tell when they're good and when they're bad. Uh, but when they're good, they're exceptionally good. Uh, and so that's, you know, that, that's one of the things that we're doing. And to me, that's one of the more innovative, you know, one of the next innovative things we're up to. So with the whole barrel aging process, what do you think of the whole secondary market that's out there? What's your take on that? Are people trading obscene amounts of beer for marked up prices? Yeah, because only a few people, you know, are here getting the Black Friday. Or you get, you know, three Black Fridays, you can trade them with someone else. I mean, yeah, no, it, it's, I would consider it positive. I mean, anytime you have people doing that or training it, I mean, obviously it's good for education. And, and um, you know, to me, a bottle of Black Friday is as good as any $30 bottle of wine, you know, and, and usually it's a, a more inexpensive price and it can age just as well, if not better. Uh, I, I don't see any reason why brewers shouldn't, you know, try to make more high-end especially, you know, specialty beers. I'm thinking, you know, the more breweries you have in the country, the you have to get them, you know, the, the smaller you are, normally the higher price product you need to have in order to make make your image with it. And so these high high price beers are right up the alley of some small little boutique brewer. 
And so I think it's a it's a positive thing, you know, to do that in trade and talks about the beers and people understand your place and anytime you get your name out doing that, people will come by and visit. So yeah, it's it's good. And, and speaking of the Black Friday specifically, I mean, we had a great time coming out this year. It was my uh-huh. first year. I know these guys have done it a few other years, uh, but just the party itself is it. Is it more taxing to you just because of the amount of production that you guys have to go through beforehand? Or is it, I mean, do you guys get to party too? Is it, is it fun for you guys doing, putting on the party? Is it as fun for you as it is for us enjoying the party? Uh, I would say yes. One, I guess the one barometer I always use is how many employees want to work it. Okay. And so we always, we, there's no shortage. And I also get a lot of um, uh, volunteers wanting to work it <laughs> that day and coming in and so uh and so from that reason it is for my own personal self it is kind of stressful just to make sure everything pulls off and everything goes and nothing else happens along the way because you have everybody coming on down and whether you're going to have um any you know have enough beer at the end for everybody that's what you know you're kind of concerned and and so those are things you're you're hoping everything just well runs well do you have a gauge about how many people came out each year well this year both these two last years we sold like 4,220 bottles on, on both. Next year, we're going to do something a little bit different. But, um, uh, but so we had that many people, so almost everybody bought three, so you divide that by three, you're about 1,200, and not everybody, about people came by. I would consider that an extremely successful. Oh, yeah. yeah. So let's say with all the new up-and-comer breweries that have been opening up in the past couple of years, which ones would you say are, are doing the best stuff right now? Why not? Uh, enlightened. I liked his. I was down there at his place. He, he was uh, like him. Third space. Kevin's a good guy, and I had some tasty, tasty beers. Uh, Henry and Mycraft. I, I know they had an issue, but uh, but I was like the beers that they had there. Braised Grain. They're doing some phenomenal stuff. Yeah, they're they're doing Paradox some good things. Paradox Red won the gold, right? Yeah. So all those. I mean, but yeah, no, I I, I, I give kudos to all of them. Yeah, like you said, it's a blessing and a curse. Good brewers come up, I'm sure it pushes you a little bit. Oh, yeah. Well, it's great for the consumers, no doubt about that. Yeah. Uh, now, a lot of the Illinois breweries do collaborations with each other. Is that something you ever see in Lakefront's future, doing, like, collaborations with other local breweries? We've done a couple little things. In the past, we did one with Great Lakes last year. Uh, in Madison, for the Great Taste of Midwest, we did a collaboration. We're probably going to do one again this year. I know the, the Milwaukee uh, Brewing League is talking about doing collaborations. Uh, I know that they want to have some sort of pub crawl where they go around and try each other's beer that they had a collaboration with, but I'm, I'm not sure how that's all happening right now. But we will. It's The collaboration thing's fun, but one problem with it is distribution or getting it out yeah. there. I mean, when you're a brew pub, it's not that big a deal because you know, you're just selling it there. But when you um, want to package it and sell it, you, always, you try to align yourself with other breweries that have the same distribution and so then they'll be happy with it and then it's between the breweries it's like well who gets the packaging who gets to sell it who's going to make the money off it what's the other you know company coming up with and to do so yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. drinking is the fun part yeah, yeah. looking what they have and coming up with it is the fun part but not yeah, the nuts and the bolts. I mean, that's where usually I get involved, and everybody else is How all. The sausage gets made. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think so. else? That's all the questions I have. Anybody else? Yeah. Well, Russ, thank you very much oh, for your time. Really appreciate yeah. it. Oh, sure. It's been a great time. I really yeah. appreciate it. After we get this rolling, we'd love to come back and visit again with you. Maybe we all right. I'll bring some uh, beers that we've aged and uh, share and yeah. share our thoughts on them. Yeah.
Okay. Yeah, we can do that. Maybe we can go. I'm gonna go back up front. I can, I can break open some of that. Or if you want to try the barrel aged stuff, I can show you what I'm talking about. Yeah. Awesome. With that, and and, uh, awesome. and I come back and we'll tell you more about how we're doing about next year's Black Friday. Okay. Sounds cool. Cool. Thank you. Breaking news, as we like to do here in the solid non-fail studio. Big changes coming to the Black Friday at Lakefront. So what are they going to be? I don't know. Uh, hopefully we'll find out from Russ. It was a little bit of a teaser there uh, when we take him up on his offer to drink some gems from his cellar. And speaking of cellaring beers, oh, what a great idea by Russ, again, innovating, because I think aging beers, and as we've seen here in the 2014, can re really change how a beer tastes. And as stouts become more popular, we're going to see beers need to be aged. Especially when you see the, the stouts brewed with coffee. You know, you see all these different variations on the Imperial Stout. It's it's almost a golden age of Imperial Stouts right now. I mean, the things that people are doing, and then the things that those beers are doing once you age them a year or even two, it's it's incredible. I mean, are, can we say we're in the golden age of craft brewing right now? Is that I, a fair I, statement? I, I think so. I mean, I can only imagine if I had a 22-year-old liver right now. <laughs> of the old battered thing that I'm lugging around. Uh, it, it must be amazing to be in this age. And uh, just to tease again, hey, coming 2017 here is going to be a golden age of brewing in Milwaukee. Uh, we've got a number of microbreweries coming online in 2017 that I hope we can uh, definitely feature, as well as, of course, the great breweries across this whole United States with this podcast is going to be about. Oh, yeah. it, it truly is a beer renaissance what it is right now i mean imagine like you said people are doing a lot of th good things with coffee imagine if they had you know put coffee in this 2014 yeah i mean i mean a, a lot oh, of like is that, uh, is that know, speculation that's actually what might be next andy you're kind of leading to something i was thinking russ kind of laid a little nugget in there he just said something different oh. with the black friday are we I talking mean, some variations I mean, what do you guys think i mean because I, I i mean they're doing bourbon barrel Brandy barrel? Do they do different I think variations? You start to see adjuncts being added, right? Yeah. Uh, which would be ironic because uh, my favorite lakefront t shirt uh, says Ryan Heights Kavot on it. Of yeah. course, a German purity law yeah, of yeah. 1512, which means you don't add adjuncts. But 2017, it's a different world, right? Everybody's adjuncting, and because it, it's doing so well, it's adding so much body and nuances to beers. So I would, I would love to see them add some coca nibs, some coffee, to add a little bit more roasted notes instead of just that from the barrels and the barley. That could be really fun. And, yeah. and who better to do it than someone who has a degree in chemistry? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Good no, point. I mean, you know, a part of me always likes to... It, it's weird because I do like the idea of the vertical tasting with the Black Friday, you mm -hmm. know, keeping it consistent, but the innovation part of it excites me, you know? You want to change. You want to do something different. As much as I love the aging part, man, doing something different is cool. Well, it, it would be fun to see still the barrel aged, you know, yeah. that still being the standard. But then, you know, a couple of different variations yeah, guess, on top of that. I guess that would be like, fun. Like, we're just speculating. He didn't say what he was going to do, what he was going to keep, what he was going to change. Yeah, but if he can keep this, you know. What he has. Keep it and make it better. <laughs> no, keep, keep, you know, keep his line of the aged, you know, bourbon barrel 
stout and just add to it instead of just changing it. I, I don't know. It, it'll be a fun year. It'll be a fun year for you, sure. You know, and, you know, and we are from Milwaukee, so we are giving Lakefront a lot of love on our first episode, and we're eternally grateful for having Russ Klish on our first episode. But, hey, you may call us homers if you're listening from somewhere else around here, but give us your stories. Get in contact with us. Reach, us, reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We have a website that's going to be up probably right around the time our first episode's in the air, and you'll be able to find all our episodes on there as well as links on Facebook. TapTakeOverPodcast.com is going to be our website. And again, Instagram, we are at Tap underscore Takeover underscore Podcast. Twitter, at TapTakeoverPod. Gmail at TapTakeOverPodcast at Gmail. And Facebook at TapTakeOverPodcast. So, what I was going to say is if you're going to call us homers, come back at us. We're more than happy to get into argument with you. Yeah. What's your best regional beer? What's, what do you have in your cellar that's better than some of the things that we've just tasted? We, we can't wait to hear from you because we can't wait to get challenged. This year, throughout this podcast, our entire mission statement is when you get into a good beer collection, the tendency is to push it as far as you can. And that is the the rule that we're going to live by. So we want to hear. If there's something that most people find objectionable and you love it, let us know. We're going to do a podcast on that. We are not huge fans of sours. I'll be very honest with you. We're, we're going to do I, more I couldn't know, help but notice that none of us said uh, Belgian beers were we're afraid. No, leave, no oh, Amagong, hey, no hey, Chimay. You know I'll leave it, I'll I leave like it. Belgian beers. Yeah, leave all right, it. you're going to be like our, our one token Belgian guy. I'll even try those jalapeno <laughs> beers or whatever. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll do anything. We're, we'll do an episode on sour beers. We'll do an episode on spicy beers. Yeah. We'll do an episode on Belgian beers. Whatever your favorite beer is, take over our tab. That's what the That's Tap right. Takeover podcast is all and about. And if you think uh, your region is awesome, that's a Tap Takeover. If represent. Think- yeah, yeah, represent. If you think Mich- you know Lower Michigan is the bomb, let us know. Yeah. We'd love a brewery. T- tack- let us know. Take over Speaking of Lower Michigan, it is the bomb. Oh, <laughs> speaking of Lower Michigan, that's a tease to our next episode. Episode oh. two. Episode that's, two. I, I believe that's what a... Uh, segue. <laughs> That's what a segue looks like. It's beautiful segue, Jesus. Uh, so our next episode, I'm really excited about this. Andy and I are going to share our adventure. Uh, we took a little beercation all the way to western Michigan. Uh, we went to Kalamazoo. We went to Dark Horse Brewing in Marshall, Michigan for their Four Elves party and their Plead the Fifth Bourbon Barrel Aged Imperial Stout release party. Stout Bells and Delivery... The, the livery was also one of my favorites. But yeah, we've got that for you on the next episode. Yeah, and there's great things coming out of Founders, too. So, I mean, Western Michigan's an exciting thing. Yeah, so we can't wait to share that tasting with you. And we've already got a couple more brewers lined up. Uh, a couple of Milwaukee favorites. I don't want to say too much. But I, I can't wait for you guys to join us on the next podcast. Thanks for joining us on our Rare Release premiere podcast. My name is Alex. I'm Jim. Andy. Jesus. Cheers, boys. See Cheers. You next time. Cheers. Cheers.